James chapter 5, James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. We're going to be wrapping up our study tonight. It says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven, the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. As we wrap up our study tonight, I want you to understand that this section of Scripture has been debated a lot over the years and has also been used by many to teach about physical healing and even as a proof text for the Roman, doc, Roman Catholic doctrine of last rites. This passage is a tough one for a lot of folks. And what I want to do tonight is I want to first of all say to you that I believe without question that God still heals. And I believe that God responds to the prayers of his people. I also believe the Bible doesn't teach that if you have enough faith, you will always be healed. The Bible doesn't teach that either. The Bible's real clear that God gets to be God and he determines when he says yes and when he says no. But I also want to show you tonight from the context of the whole book of James and from the context of the section around, around, around the section we're going to be reading that as much as there might be a small possibility that this passage is talking about physical healing, I think the full context shows a different meaning. When it talks about, is any of you sick? And it talks about asking the elders to pray and anoint with oil. I'm going to show you that the Bible's actually talking in this section, and the whole of Scripture is going to show us this, is actually talking about spiritual weakness, not physical weakness. And I'll show you what I mean by that in a little bit. Now, please hear me. I got no problem if you want to go to the leaders of your church and ask them to pray for you if you have a healing need and you would like them to put oil on you. I got no problem with that. But I don't believe that's what this passage is talking about. And I hope to show you that tonight in the full context. So I'm going to make a statement that will hopefully help us understand context a little bit. All right, and I have permission from my wife to share this illustration. I beat my wife. Now, immediately you guys are like, I can't believe he just said that. Well, let me give you a fuller context. My wife and I love to play a card game called cribbage. And we play a lot to the point that my wife and I keep track for a whole year on her phone, there is a place where it keeps track of who's ahead, who won on what date, whether it was a double win or a single win. We keep track. And I usually, well, usually I beat my wife. Now, in the fuller context, you now understand what I meant when I said I beat my wife. Do you understand? If you just take it out of context, it sounds like I said something totally different. And unfortunately, we've taken this as any of you sick, let them pray for healing, out of the full context of the letter. It is out of context to think that James is all of a sudden immediately talking about physical sickness. When it actually, I'm going to show you from the words that are used here and the full context of this letter, he's not talking about physical sickness here. 
and need of physical healing. He's talking about spiritual weakness and spiritual sickness in that way. So let me kind of show you and do that by, let's just go back and look at the full context of this letter. Remember, James was writing to a group of predominantly Jewish Christians to encourage them as they were suffering because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Go back to Acts chapter 8. Go to Acts chapter 8 and look at verses 1 through 3. In Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, it says, And Saul approved of his execution. This was Stephen's stoning. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered. You're going to see the word dispersed, and we get to James. Throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Many were beaten. A lot of them lost their possessions. And they're going through suffering because they were Jews and now they've become believers in Jesus. And they're suffering because of it. Go to James chapter 1 now. Look at verses 1 through 12. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all, without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man unstable in all his ways. Now let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he'll pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So will the rich man also fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So as James is starting this letter to these Christians who used to be Jews, who are from the 12 tribes of Israel, who have been dispersed and scattered because of the persecution breaking out against the church, he writes them to say, I want to encourage you in your suffering, count it joy when you face trials. Because your faith is being tested. And as you're about to see, if you remember in our study of the book of James, throughout the book, he's been laying some serious challenges to them for them to double check whether or not they're really saved. And he does that in many, many ways. Go to James chapter 1. Look at verses 22 through 26. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now if anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Jump over to chapter 2. Look at verses 14 through 18 and then verse 26. 
He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he doesn't have works or evidence of that faith? Can that kind of a faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, in the same way, faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. But some will say, you have faith and I have works. Well, show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. Jump to verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So we're going to keep going, but really let me kind of keep you up with what's going on. James is writing to Christians who are suffering because of persecution, because of their faith. And he says, I want you to count it joy because God's going to use this to prove your faith genuine. It's going to produce character. Oh, but at the same time, he's also going to be separating the wheat from the tares, if you will, in this process. Remember when Jesus told the parable of the soils that there were many that heard the word and sprung up and responded, but the cares of this world or trouble came and they fell away. And James in this whole letter is encouraging believers to hang on and persevere in faith, yet at the same time continuing to say, make sure you're in. Make sure you're in. Go to James chapter 3. Look at verses 10 through 18. He says, From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who's wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast or be false to the truth. This isn't the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual. It's demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's going to be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable and gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make Peace. Jump to chapter 4. Look at verses 4 through 10. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it's to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us? But he, God, gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. I mean, I could go on, but I think if you remember, as we've been going through this, James is writing... To to a group of people that are suffering for their faith. And he's saying, God's going to use this to prove your faith genuine, make you stronger if you're for real, and show that you're not if you aren't. That's going to be very helpful for us when we get to the end of his letter, because as you would probably expect, and this is the case here and with many of the letters written to the church, the purpose of the letter is at the beginning and wrapped up at the end. And that's what's going on here. Now, let me give you one last little tidbit. Go back to chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, the section we were at last week. He tells them, hang on, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. 
Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the real judge, the capital J judge, is standing at the door. Now, as an example of what? What's that next word? Suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Remember how he's already told us at the beginning of the letter? Count it all joy, because it'll produce what? Steadfastness. He now is saying, you need to be patient in your suffering, because God wants to continue to produce this steadfastness. Now, verse 13, our section that we're going to close with tonight, is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Now, we're going to deal more with prayer in just a little bit. But he then goes and says this. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? And I'm going to show you that word. And I'm going to show you that from the scriptures in just a little bit. That word should probably have been translated weak. Not sick. Because we hear the word sick and we think physically sick. But actually, as I'm going to show you from the scripture in just a little bit. This is in the context dealing with someone who's spiritually sick, a little bit weak, a little bit beaten down because of the persecution, a little bit weary of hanging on in the last days. By the way, I want an honest show of hands tonight, and I'm going to join with you on this. Is anybody else here getting a little weary in the waiting for Jesus's return? Is it not getting a little harder and harder to live here? We're getting a little weary and a little weak. Well, what does he say? He says, if you're suffering, you need to pray. If you're actually responding pretty good in the suffering, sing. Go to Acts chapter 16. That's what Paul and Silas did. By the way, if you want to have some fun tonight after you leave here, go pull up on YouTube Three Bridges Gospel Song. It's a group called Three Bridges, and there's a gospel song called I Feel a Little Song Coming On. Boy, it's good. It's about Paul and Silas in prison and these chains aren't going to hold me long. Pretty soon these walls will be gone because I feel a little song coming on. Go to Acts 16. I'd sing it for you, but we got to finish, James. Go to Acts 16. Look at verses 16 through 25. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owner saw that their hope again was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them. That's going to be important later in our study tonight. Orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into the prison ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Oh, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Keep that in mind. We're going to come back to this story in a little bit. But James says, in your suffering, 
If you're suffering, pray. But if you're also cheerful in the midst of it, sing praises. I've got to be honest with you, folks. We've got to learn how to sing again. We've got to learn how to let the Spirit of God in these days that we're in give us the joy, which is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not something we can work up. It's something that He produces when we know His truth and we know who He is and we take our eyes off of our circumstances and what's going on around us. And we put our eyes back on the Lord. A song will rise in your heart. And the Bible says you need to sing. Go ahead. That's good. That's a good thing. Actually, we should be singing around the house. And honestly, I've started to sing. I actually was on the golf course today, and that song I just told you to go, I put, put it on and set my phone on the green as we were playing. Played it for the guys I was playing with and played it for whoever else was listening around because I felt a little song coming on. I made a birdie. Now then, then James says, is any of you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church to come pray for them. Now, this is important. This word that's translated sick is the Greek word astheneo, A-S-T-H-E-N-E-O. Astheneo. And it's used in the New Testament to refer to physical sickness. It is. But it's also used many times to refer to spiritual weakness. I'm going to give you just an example of a few and tell me if you find the word astheneo in the sections we're going to look at. Go to Acts chapter 20. Look at verses 32 through 35. In Acts chapter 20, verses 32 through 35, Paul says to the elders of the church there in, in, uh, there in Miletus, at the elders of the church in Ephesus, but they're meeting him in Miletus. He says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help who? The weak. By the way, that's astheneo. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Jump over to Romans chapter 4. Look at verses 18 through 21. In Romans 4, 18 through 21, talking about Abraham, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken... In faith, by the way, that's astheneo. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he's about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he's promised. So in other words, as Abraham was going through his trial. There are many different types of trials. And his was that he had been promised that he would be a mighty nation and all these descendants. Yet he and Sarah still can't make a baby. He didn't grow weak in that time. But he actually was strong. Go to Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 3. For God has done what the law, there it is again, weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh. There's astheneo used in again to talk about spiritual weakness. Go to Romans 14. Look at verses 1 and 2. 
Ask for the one who is weak in faith, as Astaneo. Welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. So again, we see the word translated weak. I honestly believe that if we had translated Astaneo weak in our, passage, in our Bibles in James chapter 5, it would have cleared up a lot of this. Because you're going to see as we go on and back to James chapter 5, you're going to see... Um, that the full context of not only the whole letter, but the section that we're looking at tonight actually is going to show us that weakness here or sickness, as they put it, is actually someone who's suffering. And they're wavering. They're wavering. They might even have fallen into sin of doubt, fear, worry, thinking about going back to Judaism which the Hebrew writer had read a whole book about to the Jewish Christians who were thinking about that. But go to, real quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and look at verse 10. I could show you more, but I'm going to stop and I'm just going to show you one more. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10. Paul is talking about his thorn in the flesh. He just talked about how he's pleaded three times for the Lord to remove it. We'll, we'll start in verse 9. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Here's verse 10. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. That's Astaneo again. So let me ask you real quickly from the context of what I just shown you. Could Astaneo also be talking about spiritual weakness instead of physical sickness? I think the full context of our letter shows that that's what he's dealing with. And especially as we move on and show some more. If someone is struggling in their faith, they need the mature spiritual leaders in the church to come pray for them and strengthen them. And God, let's go back and read it again now. And let's put the word weak in there. Wavering. James chapter 5, look at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him praise. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you weak? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's weak, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and is working. Would you not agree that as much as God does heal, the Bible's also clear that if God says, I'm not going to physically heal you, that doesn't matter how much faith you have. <laughs> I mean, otherwise, if I have enough faith and God has to do what I believe, who, who have I just made God? Me. Now, I, again, the Bible talks about praying for each other in this way, but the issue of the context here is spiritual weakness because of the suffering and the persecution. But there's a couple of things I want to chase real quick. One that I already had in my mind to bring to you tonight, another one that the Lord brought to my mind, tied to it while I was teaching last night. And I can't wait to show that to you. But first, let me say this. I'm about to move into a section of this passage and the Bible that's going to talk to us about the importance of having brothers and sisters come alongside of us in our struggles and encourage us and pray for us and strengthen us.
I'm going to talk to you about the need for pastors to come alongside of you and spiritually encourage you and strengthen you. But before I do, I want to tell you, be careful because Satan wants to jump in at the exact same moment. And this is what he's going to say to you. Well, that's all well and good, Jim, but nobody comes and prays for me. And my pastor's never there for me when I want him or when he's, when, you know what I'm saying? You're going to immediately want to go to thinking about all the people that let you down. And this is what God showed me last night when I was teaching this. Go back to James 5. Look at what it says here in verse 14. Is anyone among you weak? Let him wait for the elders of the church to come pray for them. Is that what it says? No. Let him call. In other words, you need to humble yourself and say, I'm weak. I'm struggling right now. I need some prayer. I need some help. I need someone to come alongside of me. Yet at the same time, never take your eyes off of the Lord in this process. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He anoints my head with oil. We're going to get to the anointing with oil in a little bit. He's the one that encourages me. He's the one that heals me and strengthens me spiritually. He's my help. Paul, at the end of his life, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, said this. He said, at, the, at my first defense, no one came and stood up for me. They all deserted me. May it not be held against them. Because the Lord was with me. And I was all right. But too many Christians fall into this victim mentality and woe is me and nobody calls and checks on me and my pastor hadn't been to visit me in a long, long time. You totally missed it. You're putting your eyes on people and on man when you have a powerful, awesome God who loves you, who lives within you. And the scripture actually says, if any of you are weak and struggling, you don't sit home waiting to see who's going to notice. You actually humble yourself and you ask for prayer. You ask for prayer. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. That's why I can't wait. If you haven't heard yet, when we come back in September, we're going to be studying 1 and 2 Thessalonians, looking at all the encouragement that's there, yet also the eschatology and in times teaching that is throughout those two books. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verses 12 through 21. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. This is your pastors, your elders, your spiritual leaders. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help who? The weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what's good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. We need each other, folks. And God has designed the body to be that way so that the body cares for itself. But don't sit around waiting for someone to care for you. Go find someone that you can encourage. Oh, as we saw last week, though, in, first, in Romans chapter 5, verses uh, 7 through 12, you need to establish your own heart first. 
before you can encourage others. Now, back at the early beginning of the church in Acts chapter 6, as the church grew and they were caring for each other, there was a daily distribution of food for the widows. And there ended up being a little bit of squabble. I've never heard of that happening in church before. But there was a little squabble amongst the believers between the Hebraic widows and the Grecian widows of the daily distribution, whether or not they thought it was being passed out fairly. And they quick ran to the pastors and said, y'all got to deal with this. And they were wise enough to say this. They said, you choose from men among you who are full of spirit and wisdom and will hand this responsibility over to them. It wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word to wait on tables, we're going to devote ourselves to the study of the word and prayer. The elders, the spiritual leaders are supposed to be feeding on this book and spending time with the Lord so that when there are those who need encouragement, we are able to feed you the word, pray for you to have you reconnect with your God. We're not to say, I'm here for you. We're here to say he's here for you and look at what his says, word says and encourage you in that. I'm not going to, for the sake of time, turn there because I've got too much to cover. But in 1 Samuel 23, verses 15 through 18, 1 Samuel 23, verses 15 through 18, David is weak. He's been anointed the next king of Israel, but yet it ain't happened. He was anointed the next king of Israel and next thing you know, he has to go back out in the field and tend sheep. And while he's doing that, his dad sends him to bring some food to his brothers. And he ends up seeing Goliath and he fights Goliath and his brothers all make fun of him. And eventually Saul puts him to work playing a harp for him. And then and then in time, Saul starts to be jealous of him. And David has to run and hide from Saul. And he's running for his life and he's hiding in this place called Keilah. And Saul had heard that he was there. And Jonathan comes and strengthens his hand in God. And all Jonathan does is say, remember what God said. You will be king and I'll be next to you. In other words, you're going to be in charge, not me. And then Jonathan goes back to his palace. David had to hang out in the rocks and the caves. We need each other, folks. And God has designed that those of us who are spiritual, mature leaders in the church, the men who are given this responsibility, Galatians 6.1, if you see your brother caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, restore them gently. We're to be encouraging each other and helping each other. And in these days, as we've all just admitted, it's easy to get discouraged, despondent, weak. And some of you might have even in that time of weakness fallen into sin. And fallen prey to some temptations that you know, you know better, but you're spiritually weak and your armor's kind of sagged on you a little bit. And the, the Lord's been able, well, sorry, the enemy's been able to kind of hit you in a few spots that he hadn't been able to hit you in in a while. But you need prayer. But you don't just need prayer. Some of you might need some anointing with oil. What does that mean? Well, let me go back to James 5 and help you out with this a little bit. It says, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. All right. This word anoint, by the way, is not used for ceremonial anointing but for practical purposes. Every time this word is used, it's practical uses, not ceremonially anointing. It's usually tied to rubbing oil 
on wounds. Remember Paul and Silas, how they were beaten and put in the inner cell? Go back to Acts chapter 16. We'll start in verse 25 where we left off, but we're going to go over to verse 34. In Acts 16, starting in verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling and with fear he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of God, word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And as he was, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family, and they brought them up in his house and set food before him. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. He washed his wounds. You remember the story of the, the Good Samaritan? Well, if you don't remember it, go to Luke 10 with me real quick. Go to Luke 10, verses 30 through 34. Luke 10, verse 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he, was, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Folks, this word anoint in James is referring to a practical use like they would do with oil, like a medicine. That's why David says, you anoint my head with oil, just like he would do to the sheep who would get their heads caught in the thicket and get cut up and scratched. As a good shepherd, you would put some oil on the head of the sheep to help them with their wounds. And many of these Christians were going through suffering to the point of being persecuted physically. And any of you weak right now, and if you've been beaten, you're having a hard time and you can't sing real good, not because you're a bad singer, it's just you don't feel like it. You need some of the brothers and sisters who are spiritual to come alongside of you. And actually, a better translation of James 5, if we're going to actually put it in how the Greek put it, it would say this. It would be, after having rubbed them with oil, let them pray for them. That's how it's worded in the Greek. After having rubbed them with oil, let them pray for them. In other words, sometimes we need some physical needs met too. Don't just, well, I'll pray for you, brother. I'll pray for you, sister. No, if you've got a brother or sister who's struggling and they're weak, Sometimes we might need to help them with a light bill. Some of them we might need to help them with some food for the grocery. Some of them, we, at times we might need to just come alongside of them. And what can we do to help you physically as well? And let me just tell you, if Jesus continues to tarry, and it's his plan, and we've got to be patient until he comes and ready for whenever. But there's no saying that we Christians might not start going through what other parts of the globe are already going through. Physical suffering because of 
persecution for faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, by the way, how many of you are still going to be signed up? You ever notice that when the army and the Marines and all those different places try to sign you up, they show you flying jets and jumping out of planes, and they don't show boot camp. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus showed boot camp. He said, count the cost. You need to be willing to take up your cross daily and follow me. But let me, let me show you a couple other places this word anoint is used. And it's kind of a cool picture of just sprucing up a little bit, helping a little bit. Go to Matthew 6. It's the same word that we have here in James 5, but in Matthew 6, look at verses 16 through 18. In Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 16, and he says, And when you fast, don't look gloomy like hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, and that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've already received their reward. They wanted man's praise, they got it. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. In other words, fix yourself up. Spruce yourself up a little bit. God knows you're fasting. You don't have to tell everybody. You don't have to make it known. Pretty yourself up. Encourage yourself a little bit. Put on some perfume. By the way, when, when my, our kids were younger and my wife was the school bus driver, if you will, for all the kids in the neighborhood, kind of a deal. And we'd have kids from our church come. My wife had some deodorant in her van at all times for the teenage boys when they'd come in from whatever it was they were doing. And she would say, anoint yourself with this. <laughs> Spruce yourself up. So I need to breathe as I'm driving you around. Go to Luke chapter 7. Look at verses 44 through 46. And I didn't name any names at that time there, but they came to my mind. Luke 7, verses 44 through 46. Then turning toward the woman, Jesus said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint, didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. So again, it was a very common practice when people came to your house and they'd been traveling, you spruced them up a little bit. You washed their feet with a little bit of water. You gave them a little bit of perfume and rubbed some oil on them so they'd feel better and smell nicer. And that's what this word means. Some of you feeling a little bit down, you're a little weary. You might even be physically beaten. After... Having been anointed with oil, spruced up, encouraged, maybe helped you out a little bit, pray for them. Because it's one thing to pray for somebody. It's another thing to help meet a need at the same time. Now, we got to struggle here. i got to be honest with you. Because there's a lot of Christians that focus now on just doing social gospel stuff. Just helping the physical needs. But if you don't help them with the spiritual... The physical isn't going to do anything. But if you just try to be spiritual and you don't understand that there are physical needs... Well, by the way, how are you going to know if they have physical needs unless you get involved in each other's lives? That's why I think the Bible teaches that biblical fellowship will only really be real when we start spending more time with each other than just Sunday morning, knowing where you park and where you sit in the church. But actually, the early church in Acts 2, 42 through 47, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship 
the breaking of the bread was the Lord's Supper into prayer. And they met daily, not only in the temple courts, but in each other's homes. They shared their meals together. They lived life together. They did stuff together. And folks, listen, if one of you ends, in the, ends up in the hospital, the ones that you've been living life with as brothers and sisters in Christ will know whether or not you've got a cat and whether or not the litter box needs to be changed. They'll know whether or not you need milk and whether or not you drink 2% or whole milk. By the way, we should never expect the pastor to be the one who knows this stuff. How can one person know all that? They, that's impossible. But it was never God's design that the pastor be the one doing that stuff. It's the body. Cares for the body. So again, stop waiting for someone to come check on you. Has God ever brought someone to your mind out of the blue? Pray for them right then. Oh, and if it doesn't go away, you might want to send them a text. Make you a phone call. Say, how you doing? I try to do that as much as the Lord brings people to my mind as well. And it's valuable. And when people call me up and say, you know, God just brought you to my mind today. How can I pray for you? It's an encouragement to me. By the way, the rest of the context of this section of James adds to this interpretation of these verses. Because James says this type of prayer will save some. And deal with sins. Look at that again. Verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is weak. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Now we're going to jump over the Elijah and rain because we're going to come back to that in a little bit. But look at verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You see the context? It's not physical healing. It's spiritual. Actually, all through the scriptures, this has been here. We've missed it. Go to Isaiah chapter 1. Go to Isaiah 1 and look at verses 2 through 6. You're going to see that as Isaiah is talking about spiritual sickness with the nation of Israel, he uses a lot of terms that sound like what James just said. In Isaiah chapter 1, look at verses 2 through 6. It says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they've rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel doesn't know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there's no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Does this sound familiar? It's a spiritual condition. And folks, I'm going to be honest with you and just tell you, as we struggle in these days, it's very easy to become a little bit weak in our faith. It's actually easy during those times that we're weak in our faith to fall into some sin. And the Bible's very clear, and this whole letter has been very clear, to say, if you're His you're going to come through this stronger. But if you're not, 
it will become evident. And James wraps his letter up by saying, are you suffering? Pray. Are you cheerful in the midst of it? Sing praises to God because he wants to use your witness right now. Any of you weak? You need some people to come alongside of you, especially some of the mature people to pray for you. Meet some of your needs, but also pray for you. Oh, and if you sinned in this time that you got weak and you've fallen by the wayside, let them pray for you. Admit it. Confess it. So you can be strengthened. And if you help your brother who's wandered during this time, you save their soul from death, you cover a multitude of sins, let me ask you a question. When the prodigal son finally came to himself and realized, I thought this life was going to be fun, and it wasn't, and he humbled himself and went back to the father, did the father not cover a multitude of sins when he welcomed him back? He just put a ring on his finger, robe on his, on his back, shoes on his feet. Fed him. You got it. By some of you grandmas, God's gifted you with food and being a good cook. And you may not realize it, but you could be used by God in the lives of your grandchildren. But just being a place that they know, I'll, if I just show up, she'll feed me. And you don't know why God will really have them there. It might be because their belly's hungry, but it might have to do with more than that after having rubbed some oil in their bellies, maybe you could pray for them. And when you do these things, God's grace covers a multitude of sins. Go to 1 Peter 2. Look at verses 18 through 25. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good ones and the gentle ones, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, keeping your eyes on God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin or are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And not only that, to this you've been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. By the way, help me out with this. Is this talking about physical healing? Not even close. It's about weakness in faith. It's about wandering from the truth. It's about straying into sin and humbling ourselves and saying, Lord, I'm weak. Lord, I need you. When everybody says, well, by his stripes, we're healed. And they try to turn it into a doctrine that if you just have enough faith, God has to heal you. Listen to me, folks. If that were biblically true, there would be some people that have so much faith, they'd never die. 
But that's not what the Bible teaches. Does God heal? Sure. Does he choose sometimes not to? Yes. Hebrews 11 tells us that some people received their children back from the dead, escaped the edge of the sword. Others were killed by the sword. Others were sawn in two. The world wasn't even worthy of them, and they were all commended for their faith. You need to be a person that says, he's God and I'm not. And if he slay me, yet will I trust him. If he says yes to my prayer and heals me, I'll praise him. If he says no, that's best. Then I'll just say, God knows what he's doing and he'll cause all things to work for good. Does God physically heal? Yes. Is James talking about physical healing? I don't think so at all. I think maybe a little, but I doubt it. Again, I got no problem if you want the leaders of your church to come pray for you. If you've got an issue that's been to the doctors and they haven't been able to help, I got no problem with that. The Bible says we're to pray for each other, but we also have an attitude that says, Lord, you're God and whatever you do is best. But I can tell you this much. The Bible says that if someone's spiritually weak and they truly humble themselves and they come and say, I need Jesus, we come around them, they will be healed. You're asking something according to his will. And if you ask anything according to his will, he hears you. And if he hears you, you know you have the thing that you ask. If someone truly says, I'm not where I need to be. I'm ready to come home to the Father, either whether to be saved in the first place because I never was, or to come back because I've wandered from the truth. Either way, do you think God's going to say, let me think about it? No. But in the Bible, it actually tells they will be healed. Oh, but let's... Go back to that Elijah thing as we start to wrap up. Verse, that's, uh, no, James chapter uh, 5, verses 7 and following. It talks about how the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. Now, a lot of you would think, well, I'm nothing like Elijah. Well, the Bible says you are. He's got the same kind of nature that you have. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And by the way, the prophecy guy in me wants to run with this three years and six months, but it's not the time nor the place. But let me tell you, I think he's going to be one of the two witnesses. And we have a clue of that right here because his ministry is going to be three years and six months when he comes back. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Well, as I was reading that, it reminded me of something. It reminded me of Hebrews chapter 6. Go to Hebrews chapter 6. Remember, Hebrews was written to a group of Jewish Christians who were thinking about going back to Judaism. They're being persecuted and they're thinking, well, maybe we'll just go back to being Jews. It was easier that way. And the Hebrew writer warns them over and over. First, Jesus is greater than Moses. He's greater than the angels, all this stuff. And then he then gives some serious warnings in the book of Hebrews. And in chapter 6, he says this. Verse 1, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instructions about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. But then he says this, for it's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted of the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they're crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For the land that has drunk in the rain 
that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if, he bears, if it bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Now, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love they have shown for his name and the serving of the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who faith, through faith and patience inherits, they inherit the promises. Here he says, look, I'd love to move on to some things, but let me get something clear. Land that drinks in the same rain, some of it will produce crops that are valuable, some will produce thorns and thistles. And in the same way, how you all respond to the same thing that's happening to everybody, the Spirit of God drawing you, the troubles in this life, the rain falls on the just and the unjust, will show over time whether or not you are really saved or really not. Are there those who act like they were Christians but then fall away and never work? Definitely. Are there those who were Christians but don't look like Christians for a period of time like Peter, but their salvation's real and they come back? Definitely. And through the book of Hebrews and the book of James, we see those who are writing to those who are struggling because of their faith as an encouragement to say, if you're real, you're going to be all right. But if you're not, you better watch out. And go to chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verses 26 through 39. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy and the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of his covenant by, by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly ex exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion in those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession, an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. I'm going to give you one last scripture. Go to the book of Jude. This is going to tie us. All, tie this all together, just like the Hebrew writer and the book of James were written to the same type of people, and they sound very similar. Listen to the book of Jude, verses 17 through 23. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time, there'll be scoffers following their own ungodly passions, those who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. 
Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Do you see how this all comes the same way? The book of Hebrews, the book of James, the end of Jude. They're written to those of us who are believers and those who claim to be believers and they're to encourage those who are in, saying, hang on. And to warn those who are falling away, make sure you have this. And one of the best ways is to humble yourself and say, Lord, forgive me. Oh, and those of us who have faith, we're not only to sing, we're to be establishing our own hearts to the fact that we can help others. How do we do that? Pointing them back to who he is. And folks, if Jesus comes back and gets us between now and September, I don't think any of us will have a problem with it. But if he doesn't, I can't wait to see in September when we meet back again and start diving into First and Second Thessalonians. But let me remind you of this. Let us consider how to stir one another on toward love and good deeds. Let's not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some, but encouraging each other and listen all the more as you see the day approaching. Folks, I pray that when we come back together next time, we got more people with us because God's used us to encourage some brothers and sisters to get a little bit more serious in their study of the word of God. Maybe have a new brother or sister in Christ. We don't know, but I sure hope to see you all again. I love you. Thanks for coming.